Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Hey, Joey. New year, new you. Just kidding. Right. That's just what everybody is saying. So, Right, right. New year, same you, same podcast. How's it going? Uh, it's going good. It's like it's early in the morning. We're getting this done before the kids are awake. Sort of. Yeah. Mine's already off to school. I don't know about yours. Magically, like once every six months they sleep in and this is their sleep. And today's day. the day. And I'm like, you know, that is nice because I can record in peace. On the other hand, I'm like, I wish I was still sleeping. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. You should be asleep or sitting quietly in a dark house, sipping tea yeah, uh, and yeah. doing nothing else. Yeah. That's no. all good. This is where we hey, are. Hey, new year, new kids. I think they're going to sleep in probably every day this year. Beautiful. Okay. Well, did you cast a spell on my house? <laughs> yeah, right, know. right. Or a hex. All right. Who knows what? Yes. All right, Joey. So um, you got to preach a one-off sermon, which is really unique for yeah. our style of preaching at Faith. Um, why don't you give us a rundown of what it was that you preached on? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we did a one-off because it was New Year's Day, a lot of people traveling, um, didn't want to develop something that's part of a longer series um, because of the number of people that would miss it and then kind of miss the connections and stuff. So um, because it was New Year's Day, I was thinking, you know, I want to do something about um, sort of the party that we would all have participated in, or most of us would have, you know, the day before, though I went to bed at 1030. So, oh, well. Um, but, you know, a lot of folks get together on New Year's Eve to celebrate the end mm-hmm. of a new year, but really to try to mark it in such a way that the next year feels different or feels like a new, uh, a new thing. Um, actually, sociologists and like people who track how or try to understand how people develop habits. I didn't talk about this at all in the sermon, but people who are able to change their lives in significant ways, there's almost always some sort of chronological marker. Like you, you know, that first day of the new year, a lot of us who are more cynical would be like, it's just another day, but there's something about rolling over the candle, the the candle, the calendar that does something (laughs) in your mind and gives you that like new marker. It's why um, one of the statistics in this book, this is totally not related at all to the sermon, but um, one of the stats in that book was like more people sign up to run a half marathon or a marathon on their, before their 40th birthday, their 50th birthday, their 60th birthday. So like when they're 39, 49, 59, 69, because you're like, I got to do this before I, you know, turn 40 or turn 50. So anyway, time means something to us. And we, we mark that time usually with feasts and celebrations and food of some sort. So I wanted to kind of piggyback off of that cultural moment for us and talk about feasting from a biblical perspective. So we were in Matthew 26, where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. So it's a normal Passover meal with his disciples. It's right before he's betrayed and crucified and uh, he throws a feast which um, near the end of the sermon, I called a feast in the wilderness. Like, why would you, when you're about to be killed, throw a party or have a meaningful, significant meal with the people you care about most? Um, why go to all that expense when, you know, everybody's about to be scattered and are going to need all the resources they have? Um, what was the point of it? There had to be something more to it than just that was what was on the calendar. Because uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think Luke tells us that Jesus eagerly, 
desired to celebrate this meal with his followers. So why? Was that he wanted to reveal something about himself, but also reveal something about the future to come. So mm-hmm. it's just four verses there, Matthew 26, 26 through 29. And uh, we, we looked a little bit at the kind of words of institution. This is my body. This is my blood. But then focused in on the very last verse, verse 29, where Jesus says, um, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And how he's he's just talked about death. This is my body, which is given for you or broken for you. This is my blood, which is poured out for you, you know, sacrificed on your behalf. And and then, you know, after kind of reinterpreting the elements of the Passover meal, the bread, which is blessing he's like and this is my body that's going to be broken and the blood which is or the 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 wine which is to send you out is now poured out uh for our sake and i I imagine shocking his followers into oh he's serious about dying and then he says but there's life after that death there's a feast after the feast there's a you know another supper to come after this supper and so in the middle of the sermon we took communion we celebrated the lord's supper and then talked about how uh it's this Jesus throwing this kind of feast in the wilderness is not just an attempt to like get as much out of life as you can before it's over. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is really putting a flag in the ground that says, this is not the last time we will eat together. This is not the last time that we will feast together. And so every time we take the Lord's supper, we look back at what Jesus did, of course, but we also get to say, um, this is not the last time that we will be together. And there is a feast to come after this feast. There is a great supper to come after this supper. Uh, So we were looking ahead at, you know, what sometimes is called the marriage supper of the lamb from Revelation 19, I think it is. Uh, We looked back at Isaiah 25, where it describes God bringing all nations together and throwing a feast of lavish and rich food and strong wine and all of that for, um, for all nations because he has removed the shadow of death from them. So mm-hmm. it's trying to get us to look forward and anticipate the feast to come. And then um, in our own homes and in our own lives, um, throw our own feasts that are that do the same thing as the Lord's Supper. Um, not in a, this is my body, this is my blood sense, but in a, mm-hmm. this is not the last time uh, that we will be together. And we can celebrate God's goodness even in the wilderness because we know what's coming. Mm-hmm. Super. Thanks, Joey. So can I ask, um, what made you choose this? Like, I know you said it's the new year and we were just celebrating, yeah. um, but you really could have preached on anything. So is there anything else behind the, the reason why you chose uh, this um, Probably just because I love, I love feasts. I love um, feeding people. It's just really fun for me. Um, I ran across this great book a couple of years ago called The Taming of the Feast, which uh, was instructions on how to throw a party for a hundred people or more. And included all these plans for building, you know, giant cooking equipment and stuff. And I have not done any of it, but just the idea of it is like, oh man, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I just, I love the idea of gathering people around food and around a table and mm-hmm. um, celebrating God's goodness through what he's given us. And then uh, using it to, to realizing that that's, you know, that food, because we're not, you know, we're not gourmets in the sense that the pleasure of the food is all there is and we're just trying to get the most pleasure out of food or 
uh, sample the most exquisite tastes or whatever. It's that for the Christian, that food is, and the pleasure of the food is a, uh, a sign or a symbol, almost, um, almost a sacrament of a grace that is to come in, uh, in the great feast at the end of the world. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, I love the imagery of it and wanted to, eh, just, it was like, oh, I got a chance to talk about something I, I really love. So I took it. Yeah. Yeah. You should. Um, super. So could you tell us, is there anything that you have to cut for time? Um, any material that, you know, you love this topic so much. Is there anything yeah, yeah, that you yeah, really yeah. would have liked yeah. to share that you put in? Uh, yeah, there's, I would have enjoyed, um, expanding a little more on Deuteronomy 14. I only mentioned Deuteronomy 14 just briefly because um, it is a tithe, an Old Testament tithe that that most New Testament Christians, especially uh, frugal uh, Christians in our sort of uh, stream are are not so aware of. Um, In Deuteronomy 14, let me pull up the the text here. Um, This is in a, a section about, hey, here's so Deuteronomy, right, is the second giving of the law. It's the second time through the law. Moses is reminding everybody before they go into the promised land, like, here's what you need to do. So uh, he tells them, hey, once you're in there, Deuteronomy 14, 22, you shall tithe, which means set aside 10% um, of all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. This, by the way, is one of the tithes. There were three tithes in the Old Testament. So actually 30% of um, their income uh, would be set aside towards specific purposes. Um, okay. It's like 10% towards the temple, 10% towards the priesthood. And then this last tithe, this last 10% okay. um, had to be set aside. And before the Lord, your God in the place that he will choose, remember, this is before they're going into the promised land. So before Jerusalem is set up as the capital uh, with the temple there, um, before the Lord, your God in the place that he will choose, where he chooses to make his name dwell, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord, your God always. So he's saying set aside 10% of the, f- the food essentially that you generate in a year, take it all to Jerusalem and eat it there, throw a feast, a celebration there. Um, but he says, if the way is too long for you so that you're not able to carry all of that food and bring along the animals and all that, then um, you can turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to that place and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. He says, and remember to include the Levites uh, who are part of your town uh, because they don't have their own inheritance or their own flocks and herds and, and grain and all that. So it says, take, take all of this, take it to Jerusalem once a year, uh, 10% of your money is supposed to be set aside to throwing a massive feast uh, for you and your friends and family. Uh, that never showed up in the uh, spiritual disciplines handbooks that I read, um, you know, as a young Christian that I, I'm supposed to set aside a significant amount of my income to uh, uh, throw a feast to celebrate mm-hmm. God's goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's funny to me, you know, how often we'll argue about like, should Christians tithe? Do you know, is there a New Testament command to tithe and all that? And does it have to be exactly 10%? And is it more about the heart posture of being a joyful giver and all of that, which is all good discussions to have. Uh, but we're all talking about giving the money to the church. None of us seem to remember the tithe that says, set aside 10% of what you make. I mean, can you imagine uh, in a year, like if a household made 150,000 a year. And they set aside 15 grand every year to throw a party just to celebrate God's goodness, uh, Mm -hmm. to invite friends and neighbors over and say, 
God has been so good to us. Actually, I was talking with one person after the sermon and they said, my takeaway was God is good. Let's eat. I was like, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Um, I and, can't, you know, so for, like, it's fun to dream about what could I do if I actually had set aside this money and I did throw this party. And then also I'm like, can you imagine all the parties I get to attend? That would be amazing. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. All the, yeah, man. So you got to get 12 families together and each take a month. And that's the one where you do it. And uh, yeah, you know what? I didn't have time to really develop out of that is most of us would look at it and go, that's, there's no way I could afford that. And I think part of the problem is we, we try to make every meal a little feast in terms of the sumptuousness of the food and the quality of the food and all that. Uh, there's an author that I quoted a couple of times, um, a uh, food uh, priest and chef um, who he says something like in one of his books, he says, I would rather eat well and eat nothing the next day than sit down to a series of ambitious mediocrities. Uh, you know, he's saying throw a feast one day and then fast mm -hmm. the next day. And, and in his book, he's kind of calling people back to what he calls festal and ferial eating, which means eat well one meal a week and the rest of it, bread and cheese is enough. You know, you mm -hmm. don't really need all that much more um, in the morning or for lunch and you can enjoy a good dinner. So rather than uh, feeling like every meal should be this great experience, mm -hmm. this is fast so that you can feast Yeah. instead of yeah. just little feasts all the way through. So Interesting. Okay. Thanks, yeah. Joey, for sharing. Um, all right. So I've got one final question for you. Yeah. Um, your takeaway for us is to feast. Yes. Feast with one another. Throw but a feast. Then, you know, anyone, we could come up with all these hangups, right? We're like, can I use paper plates at this feast? Should it be fancy? Or what it, like, what if, yeah. um, what if I'm not a good cook? Or I don't know. There are all these different ways people could like come up with butts. Um, do you have any tips for us for feasting? Like how do we go about creating something intentional like mm -hmm. this feast in our, um, like how do we make it work for us, for everybody? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd say I, I call it a feast in the wilderness. Um, so don't try to make it a feast in paradise, right? It doesn't have to be the feast to end all feasts. A feast is just a meal with a purpose. Uh, and a specific purpose towards celebrating God's goodness to us in whatever way that takes. So paper plates versus fine china, I don't care. Um, as long as the plate doesn't get soggy and fall apart with the food on it, right? You're fine. Um, clean house or messy house doesn't matter. The point is get together um, both the people you love and care about, your family, your friends, but also the people who live around you, your neighbors and those who don't know Jesus and, and say, Hey, we're going to just enjoy good food together because God is good. And he's the one who made all of this food. And he's the one who hid all of these tastes and flavors inside this food for us to draw out and discover. Um, and, and I think probably my biggest advice would be, or I, I think people's biggest hang up, cause this is my own too, is it feels weird or awkward to be sincere about something like this in front of people who are likely to mock the sincerity, mm -hmm. you know, to, to actually stand up in front of a table 
and hold up a glass and say, God is good. So let's eat. Um, it's kind of putting yourself out there a little bit and uh, opening yourself up to a bit of that really kind of, um, that seems like, ah, oh, this guy's trying to make this mean too much or something like that. Well, no, that's the, that's the point is it's, we, we defend ourselves by stripping things of their meaning so that we don't have to feel uh, the lack of meaning that, that we uh, wish everything, you know, we don't have to feel the lack because we wish these things were meaningful, uh, were more meaningful. So um, I, I'd say, yeah, just uh, start small, get a couple of people together um, cater in some food or make something or find a friend who's a good cook or chef and just remember God is good. So let's eat. Super. All right. Well, and there, thanks, Joey. Thanks for your time this morning. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love this topic. So I could talk about it all day. Awesome. Well, we look forward to hearing again from you next week. You get to do another. Yeah. Um, another one-off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Start of the year talking about why we're here as a church, why we exist and all that before we jump back into Matthew for a, a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Joey. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Claire. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.